The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. My name is Mary Tunis. When I was two years old, my mom put me in a gymnastics class. Um, at the age of five, I fell in love with the sport and I started competitive gymnastics. When I was 12 years old, I was sexually assaulted by another classmate. At the age of 13, I was sent to a treatment facility in Arizona. When I was in Arizona, I went into pre-cardiac arrest and the doctors told me that I was not going to make it to my next birthday if I continued to self-harm myself and starve myself. At the age of 15, I got into a, a abusive relationship. We got into a fight and he told me to kill myself. So I wrecked my car into a tree. The doctors told me that I would never be able to do gymnastics again, that I had broken my back. I was so mad at God. The one thing that I was good at in life, he took away. After my senior year, I wanted to get away and start a new life. So I left for Frostburg State University. My sophomore year of college, I started to pick up some of my old eating disorder habits and I began to overexercise again and I was so lost. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I came home for Christmas break, I was at an all-time low. I was so unhappy at Frostburg. I was so unhappy with myself. I felt like I was missing something, but I didn't know what. What makes you or has made you an unlikely choice? It's not just Mary's story, it's every one of our stories. You know, like when you vote in high school for the yearbook, you, mo you vote on, you know, most likely, most likely to succeed, most likely to, I don't know, marry young, most likely to, you know, get a college education. And, and what we're doing is we measure people based on what we see and what we value. Those that are the strongest, the smartest, the fastest, the best. And that's how we choose our champions. That's how we choose our leaders. I would love to think that, you know, at some point we outgrow that high school approach to how we view people. But in reality, we continue through adult life to still measure people based on what is obvious. You know, the ones that are most likely to whatever. And maybe some of you, you're, you're, you fit that category. I mean, you were the top of your class. You were the strongest in the, in the school. You were the, you know, the uh, champion of the contest. You were the, you know, captain of the team. And that's awesome. We, you know, we, we applaud you. And then all the rest of us, we feel like we're just the average guys. We, we had more liabilities and limitations than abilities and strengths. We're the ones that got overlooked when the people were picking the teams. And I think there's a lot more of us that can relate to that. And there's a few that, I mean, you, your best memories are behind you. And so for those of us that fit that category, where we feel like we were the ones that got overlooked when people were picking teams, then you can relate to this. You know that you are unlikely because you have limitations and liabilities. Something hasn't gone well in your life. And as a result, all of us have these little areas in our life, these little weaknesses, these little limitations that hold us back. 
And what they do is they create a vulnerability for bullies to step in and take advantage. And I would imagine right now, if I gave you a pause moment, all of you could find places in your life where you have been bullied. Somebody saw a weakness. They saw a liability in your life and they took advantage. Maybe at work, it's your kindness that has become your liability. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe you can't formulate the right words to fight back. And so as a result, you feel like you have this limitation where you can't keep up. Whatever your liability or your disability, you feel like you don't have the ability to compete against the bullies in your life. And so you make excuses for why you can't. I, I know um, in our own home, my, my little guy, Daniel, he, I hear this regularly out of him. I'll tell him to do something and he'll go, I, I can't do it. <laughs> so I told him recently to say he was sorry because he bit one of the girl's finger. I said, you say you're sorry. He goes, I can't do it. <laughs> I said, now that's not a liability. That's disobedience. Get over here. And, uh, but, but regularly I'll be like, hey, let's go do this. I, I can't do it. And so what do you do in your own life when you find yourself going, I, I can't do it. And sometimes you mean, I don't want to do it. But sometimes you really mean, I can't do it. And you have convinced yourself that your limitations and liabilities have gotten in the way of your abilities and left you vulnerable to bullies who've told you that you can't do it. And you have literally ruled yourself out of doing anything significant, of making a difference, of mattering. And maybe, just maybe, those liabilities have created an opportunity for a great comeback story. Maybe you're just a comeback in the making. Talked about how we choose, you know, who's gonna be the captain of our team, who's gonna be the, the president of the class, who's gonna be the leader of our nation. And I wanna introduce you to a guy who he fits the category of those of us who could re relate to being bullied rather than being the bully. The context of the story is this. We're going to be reading from a historical book that recounted the early history of the nation of Israel. To put it in context, um, they had recently just come in and conquered the promised land. Over many centuries, God had told the people of Israel that they would eventually take and conquer the Canaan land, and it would become their promised land. And Moses led them right up to the entrance, and then he died, and Joshua took over. And Joshua eventually led them to conquer the land and overthrow their enemies, and they began to rule and live in that land. But then when Joshua died, there were no new rulers to take over. And so what began was the cycle of trouble where the nation of Israel would have a ruler that would step up and he would lead the nation, but then that ruler would die. And when that ruler died, the people would 
uh, fall into chaos and they would just do whatever they wanted. And multiple times in the book of Judges, it reads this way, people did what was right in their own eyes. And when they did what was right in their own eyes, they did not do what was right in God's eyes. As a result, God would step away from them and they would find themselves in trouble because they rejected God. And so God would allow other nations to come in and their enemies to conquer and the nation would experience great trouble and great turmoil. Then the people would cry out to God. God, help us, we're in trouble. God, our life is a mess. And God would raise up a ruler. God would send them a judge to teach them the right ways to live and to rescue them from the destructive force of their enemies. And when, once this ruler, this judge would conquer the enemy, God would bring prosperity and peace over their nation. And so long as that ruler and judge lived, the nation would prosper. When they died, repeat over and over and over. And so I want to introduce you to one of the early rulers, judges of the nation of Israel. But what makes him such a, it almost is a comical story because he's a really unlikely choice. First, because of his name. His name is Ehud. I'm just doing that. That was just for fun. Seriously, if you had a classmate named Ehud, he probably wouldn't get voted president of the class or captain of the team. I mean, that's a dude you pick on. Not only is his name Ehud, but we're going to jump right into the story. It's found in the book of Judges, which is very early in the Bible. Chapter 3, verse six, uh, 15 and 16. Let me just read it to you. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjaminite. And the Israelites sent him with tribute to Egalon, king of Moab. I'm sorry, Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword and about a foot and a half long. Let me just pause right there and give you a couple quick pieces of why, I, why I'm saying Ehud is an unlikely choice. Well, not only because of his name, but Ehud is a left-handed guy in a tribe that is known for being right-handed. I know, that sounds weird. My wife is left-handed. And so when I was writing this sermon, I actually told her about it and she started laughing. Um, But it's not just that he's left-handed. Let me explain. The word, the way it translates into the English is actually something more like um, he, he suffers from a deformed hand. So his right hand is deformed. Now, in and of itself, that would not be a terribly big deal, except that he's part of the tribe of Benjamin. The name Benjamin means son of my right hand. So he's got a deformed hand, so he's left-handed in a nation of people that are the son of my right hand. And when you get deeper into ancient history, it makes it an even more in-your-face ironic moment because Being the son of the right hand, what that meant was when Benjamin's father named him that, Benjamin's father, uh, Jacob, or his name was changed to Israel, what he meant was, this is the son of my strength, the son of my authority, the son of privilege and favor. To be on the right hand of someone. So when we say Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, what we mean is Jesus sits in the position of favor, of strength, of power, and of influence. And so what it meant was to be a nation, a people, who are favored, chosen, 
with authority and power. So now we've got Ehud, who's got a deformed right hand, who's left-handed, who's outside of favor and authority and power and strength. And in that time, to be left-handed was to be someone who was, they were suspicious of. It was, you were, you were they questioned whether you were um, a traitor. You were considered treacherous. And so Ehud, being identified as someone who might be used by God would not only be ironic, but highly unlikely. And so let's keep reading. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to the right thigh under his clothing. Interestingly, so obviously if you're right-handed in ancient times when you fought, you'd put your sword on your left side, right? So you could draw it out. So he was left-handed, so he had his sword on his right side, which is gonna come in to his advantage. We're gonna keep reading. So they go to his enemy. He's given the task to bring tribute. In essence, because the nation of Israel is under oppression, they're being occupied by this horrible enemy, Moab, they have to regularly bring a tribute to the king. And so guess why Ehud is chosen? Because he's on the outside looking in. He's, he's one of the outcasts chosen to do a really crummy job. You know who you send? to have to go bring the tribute to the king, the people you don't like. And so they go, Ehud, why don't you go be the water carrier? Why don't you go clean up the blood? Why don't you go you know, bring the money to the enemy king? And so Ehud is specifically chosen because they, he's an outcast looking in. And so his job is to bring the tribute to the king. It's very much a crummy job. And it's an insult to the nation of Israel. So he goes in and here is how the story continues. He said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king said, quiet. And all of his attendants left him. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace. And he said, I have a message for, from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand drew his sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. And you thought the Bible wasn't very exciting. You thought this was just boring stuff. Check this out. This is like something you'd watch in a movie. I can't even believe this stuff is even in the Bible. Listen to this. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out of his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. This is disgusting. Then Ehud went out of the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and he locked it. The part I left out was he locks the door and then he leaves and the, his, the king's attendants just leave him alone for a while because they think he's going to the bathroom. And then it starts to get really uncomfortable because they're like, I mean, how long do we leave him in there? And like an hour goes by and they're like, that dude's got issues. I mean, the king, I know, but we should have given him some prunes or something. And finally, they like knock on the door like, you all right in there? Hey, did you fall in? And then it, there's so, it actually says they're so embarrassed that they finally knock through the door. And they find the king dead with the sword completely engulfed by all of his fat. And then it continues. And when he arrived there, meaning when Ehud 
ran, he came to the armies. When he got to that point, it says that he, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. And so they followed him down and taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not a man escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel and, that, and the land had peace for 80 years. Now, I know it's just an, an ancient story set in ancient times about a, a nation that was constantly in a cycle of trouble and then they would cry out to God and God would set them free and then they would prosper and then they would reject God and fall back into trouble. I know it sounds funny to talk about a, a left-handed guy with a deformed hand who God uses to kill the enemy king that delivers the nation and gives him 80 years of peace. But maybe, just maybe, it's in the Bible because it's not just a story about Ehud, the left-handed Benjaminite, but maybe it's a little bit about us because maybe there are limitations and liabilities, maybe even disabilities that leave you feeling like you are an unlikely choice. But could it be? That what makes you feel like an unlikely choice is the very thing God wants to use to do something unlikely through your life. What do we learn from the story of Ehud? It's this, that our weakness invites God's strength. I know. You and I are constantly trying to compensate for our weaknesses and overcome our liabilities. We're always trying to fight back and stand up and get stronger. We wanna, we wanna cover over our liabilities and show that we are able. But here is the reality that's impossible. It is impossible for us to overcome our weaknesses and conquer our bullies because there is at least one bully in our life that always seems to win. You and I may conquer the bullies at work. We may stand up to the bully in the locker room. You may be able to face down the bully in your finances or in your home or in your neighborhood or on the team. But every one of us have a bully in our life that takes advantage of the vulnerabilities of our liabilities. It's called sin. Sin lives inside of every one of us. It is a spiritually driven internal force that is out to destroy us and it has already won. That's right, every one of us are born with a disability spiritually. You and I have an instinct to reject God. Our spirits are corrupted to do the wrong thing and so we turn our back on God and do what we want, which leads us to ruin. Sin not only sabotages our best intentions, destroys our life spiritually, which means it cuts us off from relationship with God, but the end result is not only death, but eternal judgment. And God saw that every one of us had this great liability, a bully called sin that had already conquered and destroyed us. We are 
like the nation of Israel, oppressed by an enemy, defeated, robbed, taken advantage of, and exposed. But I want you to know this, Jesus is a lot like, but better than Ehud. Ehud leverages his liability because he's able to put his sword in his right hand where the secret service never check. He's able to sneak into the, the king and stab him and conquer him and lead a revolution to overthrow the enemy and free the nation for 80 years. But Jesus is better than Ehud because Jesus took our weaknesses, he took our shame, he took our guilt, our limitation, and he put it on himself. And then he went into the enemy. When he hung on the cross, he hung in our place. He died for us. He took our shame, our guilt, sin that had destroyed us on himself so that when he died, he died once for all. He didn't have to use deception or trickery. And when he died, he died to defeat death in our place. But he not only died, he supernaturally and miraculously rose from the dead and in his resurrection, he conquered the enemy, the enemy of sin, the enemy of death and the enemy of eternal judgment. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is freed from the power of the enemy and given peace, not just for 80 years, but forever. You see how Jesus is better than this really cool story about Ehud? But Ehud points to Jesus. And what it reveals is this. When you believe in Jesus by faith, that means you open your life to God. And when you open your life to God, God's spirit enters into your spirit. His strength overpowers our weakness so that his strength is revealed in our weakness. God actually chooses people who are weak and limited so that he can transform their unlikely story and do something unlikely through them. You thought it was your limitation, but it's actually your opportunity. How does God do this? Well, here, check out a little bit more of Mary's story. One night I was in the gym and a leader from FCA came up to me and said that if you practiced your faith like you practiced in the gym, that you'd be unstoppable. That night was a huge breaking point for me. I told my mom that I could no longer go to Frostburg and that I needed to take some time to work on myself. In January, I was talking to my therapist and I told her that I wanted to go to church again. So one Sunday morning, I woke up and I went. Before going to Lifehouse, I felt intimidated to go to church. I felt scared. I felt like everyone was going to look at me weird and, and judge me for my past struggles. After coming to Lifehouse, I realized that I was welcome, that no one was perfect and everyone has their own story. Every sermon spoke to me directly and I felt renewed after listening to Patrick's message. Since seeking God, I realized that I am perfect in His eyes and that my past struggles and my past mistakes don't define me. After my car accident, the doctors told me that I would never be able to do gymnastics again or compete in sports. Despite what the doctor said, today I'm a competitive CrossFit athlete where I compete. I know my purpose here on earth 
and I love the life that God blessed me with. Takes a lot of courage to get in front of a church and churches and share your story of pain and limitation and hurt and loss. But what I appreciate is Mary saying, here's what God can do in the midst of my liabilities. Here's how God can reveal his abilities. And so let's just go back and see this same principle at work in Ehud's life. It's this, in, in verse 16 and 17 it reads, now Ehud had a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. This is just weird. Everything about this story is weird. It's unlikely. But what's the point? It's this. To show God's strength, we have to be willing and available. We have to offer ourselves to God and say, God, you can do whatever you want in my life. Look, Ehud could have made a lot of excuses. God, look at my hand. I'm a left-handed guy in a right-handed tribe. I'm considered a person of treachery, looked at through suspicion in a, in a tribe full of people that are favored and they have authority and they have power and they're considered people of great victory. Here I am, and I'm a nothing, I'm an outcast, I'm a nobody. He could have made an excuse. Here I am, God, I, I wanna do something great with my life and they give me the job to go deliver money to the king of Moab. But you know what he sees? He sees an opportunity. He says, look at this. They're never gonna check if I have a sword on my right side because everybody hangs their sword on their left side. Hey, God could do something with my life. And the very things you thought would rule you out of being used by God are the very things that rule you into the story of God. God didn't choose you because of your strength. He chose you because of your weakness. He doesn't choose you because of your abilities. He chooses you because of your liabilities. Because only in your liabilities are you willing to allow God to reveal his abilities. If you think you can do it on your own, you will. If you think you're strong enough and big enough and fast enough and you're rich enough and you have it all together, you will never look to God to reveal his strength in your weakness. But God is looking for an opportunity to do something great in and through your life. And his access to your life is in your liabilities and your limitations and your weaknesses. Because in those areas, then and only then, will you make yourself willing and available for God to do the unlikely. God doesn't want to do the obvious. God doesn't want to write the likely story. God wants to show up and show off in your life in unlikely ways. Well, the only way that God gets the credit and the glory is if you give him access to your areas of weakness and vulnerability. If you say, God, do with me whatever you want. Ehud could have made a lot of excuses. Ehud could have ruled himself out, but what he did was he took his opportunity and said, God, here I am, use me. Now, outside of faith in Jesus Christ, 
Without God's spirit alive in us, we are left to our own limitations. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you allow God's spirit to enter into your spirit, then God's strength is revealed in your weakness and the only responsibility you have is to be willing and available just to simply say, God, here I am, use me. There's another author in the Bible, he knew something about this. He was a religious terrorist. He had fought against the faith of Jesus Christ and murdered Christians. And he thought for that reason it would have disqualified him from God doing anything significant with his life. But he became one of the greatest authors of the Bible. His name was Saul and he changed it to Paul as a testimony of his life change. How God had changed everything in his life and he, he used his business to fund starting churches all across Asia and Europe. And he wrote letters to those churches after he would start them. To one of those churches, the church in Corinth, he wrote two letters that are included in the Bible today. His first letter to the church in the city of Corinth opens, 1 Corinthians chapter one, with this statement. He said, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. <clears throat> Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies that make it quite clear that none of you can get by blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have this saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. You kind of get the point of where Paul is going with this? He goes, look, God doesn't choose you because you have it all together. He actually chooses you in the midst of your mess. God doesn't choose you because you're strong enough. He chooses you because you're willing to allow your weakness to create an opportunity for his strength. He doesn't choose you because you're top of the class or because you're smart enough or because you have your family all figured out. He doesn't choose you because of, because of how great you look on the outside. He doesn't choose you because you have a perfect life or you You've got nothing wrong inside of you. No, he chooses you because of your weaknesses, because of your liabilities, because of your disabilities. He chooses you because he wants to show up and he wants to show off in your life and he wants to reveal that it's his strength. It's his love that changes everything about every one of our stories. And the only thing you and I can do is say, yes, God, use me. I am willing and I am available for you to do whatever you want, just like Ehud. But we gotta continue because the story doesn't stop there. It continues in verse, let me read verse 18 and 19. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent, um, he sent on, his, on their way men who had carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. The king said, quiet, and all of his attendants left him. And then you heard the story. He pulls out his sword, he stabs him, he leaves. He's, it, everybody thinks that he's sitting on the can, on the john, and so it's awkward. By the time they realize, Ehud has already escaped. He's rallied an army, and they're about to rout the Moabites. 
When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. You see that? Him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. And he shouts and he says, let's go, let's do this, let's conquer. God has given us victory today. And the point is this, we, we reveal God's strength through our weakness simply by getting active. Not only do you say, God, I am willing and available, but you actually have to do something. You have to be willing to get involved. You gotta get active. Don't just sit there and watch others. Don't make a list of excuses why you can't. I can't do it. Yes, you can, because it's not about your ability, it's about God's ability. You can because God can through you. And all you have to be willing to do is to surrender and say, yes, God, and then get up and actually get involved in the crisis and the mess in the world around you. Too many of us have disqualified what God has qualified. You have said you can't when you should have been saying God can. And so it's time to get active, to yield your resources to God. Maybe you say, I don't have enough. Good, your little is much in the hands of God. Maybe you think I can't speak, God can't use me to say anything. God will use you, not in spite of your weaknesses, but because of your weaknesses. Let me say it again. Do not disqualify what God has qualified in your life. God wants to use you in a greater way than you could possibly imagine, but it's gonna require you to actually get out and do it. Maybe your life feels like a mess. Maybe you feel weak. Maybe you feel like the one voted least likely to succeed. Perfect! You're the very one God wants to choose to show up and show off through, but it requires you to be willing to surrender to God and say, God, today I'm actually gonna do something. When you see a need, get involved and get part of, become part of the answer. When you see a problem, step up and become part of the solution. If you see a financial crisis and you don't know how the need's gonna get met, you start giving. Look at what God can do with your little and it will become much. If you see someone that needs encouragement, you be the word of encouragement. We are the the response of God to the crisis and the problems in the world around us. And God is not looking for someone stronger. He's looking for you. God is not looking for someone smarter. He's looking for you. God is not looking for someone with more influence, with more wisdom, with more finances. God is looking for someone who's willing to say, yes, God, I'll do it. Use me. And then you're willing to blow a trumpet and get involved in the battle. So now it's your opportunity. How will you respond? right now. Right now, it's time for some of you to say yes to God. You've been sitting on the sidelines for far too long. And if this story is gonna become a comeback story, it's because you're gonna get in the game. You're not gonna be the hero of this story. God is. The, the comeback's not gonna happen because of how great you are. It's gonna happen because of how great God is through you. But it's gonna require you to say yes, God. Use me. Some of you, you've been getting bullied for far too long. The bully of sin has wrecked your life and wreaked havoc in your heart. Maybe in your home, maybe in your workplace. It's time for that all to change today. And so what I wanna challenge you to do right now is this. I want all of you right now, wherever you're at in all of our campuses, would you close your eyes for a moment? And would you begin to pray? And your prayer is this, God, by your spirit, would you speak to me right now? 
I want you to use me. I want you to do something great with my life. But first, I need to face down my bullies. Would you close your eyes? Some of you, the bully that's been rocking your life is sin. And there's some things in your life you know are not right. And the first step for God to take your strength, your weakness and reveal his strength is for you to surrender your life to Jesus. And if, you, if it's time for you to get in the game, if it's time for you to say, God, forgive me, I want a new life, I want you to be my savior. If that's where you're at right now, I wanna encourage you just to raise your hand. In all of our campuses right now, if that's where you're at and you're ready, you're making that decision, I know it's comeback weekend and, and you've come in, maybe you're a guest with us, but it's time for you and you're saying, yes, God, I'm ready to come back to faith in Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand high and say, yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. I want a new beginning. I want a new victory. I want to commit my life to following Jesus. Would you raise your hand right now real high? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.